0: First Samuel chapter 22. First Samuel chapter 22. So Easter is coming on. We've got some activities to celebrate Easter with, Easter week on Palm Sunday. We'll have Lord's Supper here on Sunday morning. And then that Sunday evening, uh, we are going to have an all-church outreach event at the Terrace Apartments in Fort Worth. And this is one of the apartment complexes where primarily uh, refugee folks live. And at that apartment complex, there are Christians, there are Muslims, there are Hindu, there are people from all walks of life. And basically the idea is, is that we're gonna go down there. The sonic class has been doing this. They've done two or three sessions down there with them, but. We're going to uh, gather the church, have a little caravan down to the apartment complex, we'll leave here at four o'clock on Palm Sunday in the afternoon, and go down to the apartment complex. We're going to have some chopped beef sandwiches some things to go with it, and we are going to eat with them. We're going to have a big celebration with them. We're going to play with the kids, have some fun times, uh, but basically an opportunity for us to eat with them, to get to know them, to share with them. And, of course, uh, we want them to know that we love them, we care about them, and that, um, you know, we are people of Jesus, and we're about the good news, we're about love, and so we'll have a great time. I think that you'll enjoy it. Uh, every time the Sonic class goes down there and participates, they come back with joy, like Luke chapter 10, with uh, the 70 who were sent out by two. And so it would be a wonderful opportunity for us. Then that Good Friday, we're going to do our crosswalk again. Uh, This year we're going to have two crosses set up and you can leave on uh, hourly um, time. So at six o'clock group and go, seven o'clock group and go, and there'll be a crossing of the crosses along the way somewhere. And so if your group is signed up, wonderful. If it hadn't signed up yet, please go on the Facebook, call Crystal Beset if you can't do that and find yourself a spot for our crosswalk that we did last year. Same kind of deal. It'd be a wonderful thing to do on, on Good Friday. We're only going to do it on Friday this year. And, uh, and so then of course Sunday, Easter Sunday morning, we'll have two services, 930 and 1045. Be in prayer today for uh, Steve Seabury and Ken Smith and Patty Hicks and Nathan Morris. They're in Vancouver and they're doing some uh, evaluation time, I guess a little bit of recon time uh, to look at uh, the ministry that's going on there that uh, our association is uh, helping to start churches in Vancouver. It is, uh, it is one of the most unreached cities in North America. By far. And um, so they're up there. To pray for discernment to know exactly what uh, we can do to help them do the work up there. Also, uh, myself and Kevin Elder and the Wise will be leaving Friday for our ninth pastors' conference there in Cambodia. So be in prayer for that. Hard to believe this is the ninth one, but we'll be going for our ninth. Um, pastors conference. Got 75 pastors that we've been teaching uh, each year. So exciting times. All right, First Samuel chapter 22. Say with me, the word of God, the spirit of God, the people of God are all we need and we need each desperately. Amen. First Samuel chapter 22. Now, If you want to go home this afternoon and have a good reading, read Psalm 142 because Psalm 142 is the experience that David has in this cave that we're going to talk about today. Now, last week we left David and he's uh, he's scared, he's on the run, and he's in enemy territory, and he is afraid of what King Achish is going to do to him there in Gath. And so he acts like he's insane and he scratches on the gate and he drools down his beard. And he was obviously very good at acting because they let him go. And it's very interesting that King Achish says to his men, he says, don't I have enough crazy people around here and you got this guy, you know, we, we can't have any more crazy people. So David was able to uh, make the king believe that he was insane and he was left alone. And so we pick up in chapter 22, so David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. The word Adullam means refuge. And so it was a cave of refuge for David. And as you read through Psalm 142, you'll see that there is a real change that takes place in the cave. He goes from being afraid and being completely, you know, uh, just outside of his, his normal way of being, acting crazy, humiliated before everyone, to in the cave, faith begins to be rekindled. Courage begins to be rekindled again. Uh, who he is and what he's called to be begins to be rekindled. And God's spirit comes to David in this cave and a change happens. Now, there is no doubt about it. All of us at one point or another have been in that cave. Peter was in the cave. Between the arrest, the crucifixion, the, ascent, the, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus, uh, Peter was in the cave. After he denied Christ, he went into a cave, not a literal cave, because he was in Jerusalem, out of Jerusalem, but it was a cave experience. And, and God showed up in the cave in Peter's life And Peter went from denying Christ to a young girl to standing on the temple steps and being able to boldly present the gospel to at least 3,000 people. And you know that temple guards were there and the leaders of the Pharisees were there. And yet he had the boldness to be able to stand up and present the good news to all those people. And so all of us have had our caves Caves can be good places. Hiding out for a time can be good places if we do business with God. And so David does business with God in the refuge cave. And so we see in verse 2, that, uh, or the second part of verse 1, soon his brothers and all his other relatives joined him there. That's quite interesting in that you remember the story of, of David and his brothers Uh, the last time we see any association with David and and his brothers, uh, especially the oldest, he he just didn't think too much of David. He saw David as a show-off. He saw David as uh, a nuisance, annoying, as many older brothers think about their younger siblings. And yet here, uh, obviously afraid, obviously realizing what's going on, they're escaping from Saul. So Uh, they recognize that not only is David in danger from Saul, but also they're in danger. And so his brothers and all his other relatives joined him there. Verse 2. Think about this for a moment. Then others began coming. Men who were in trouble or in debt or who were just discontented until David was the captain of about 400 men. So in this cave, people that are troublemakers, people that are upside down financially, people who are just discontented, just just tired of everything, they show up and they join David in the cave. Now, these 400 men are the... the uh, the prime the primer for david's mighty warriors david captained men who couldn't join the army who couldn't represent themselves well in jerusalem they were the troublemakers they were the castaways they were the outsiders but they entered this cave out of fear i'm sure escaping and God took the misfits and He made them into a mighty fighting force. Can you imagine if our rangers or our Navy SEALs or our Marines and people like that, if, if, if they did a campaign and it said, if you're in trouble with money, come to us. If, if you're in trouble with the law, come to us. If you're just sick and tired of your life, come to us. If you've made lots of mistakes lately, if you find yourself with no future, if you don't have any drive, if you don't have any get-up-and-go, if everyone in your life have turned their back on you, if everybody believes that there's no way you're ever going to make it in this world, come join us. We're going to make the best fighting force in the world. Well, of course, we wouldn't do that. The Navy SEALs wants the best, right? The Rangers, they, they, they cull all their candidates. They want only the best. But here we see that this is the way of the Lord. The Lord has a way of assembling what is less than best. The average people. The less than average people and assembling them and doing a great work in their life and changing them. And we see here in this cave that as David changed, his men changed. And they really became something to behold. A mighty fighting force was created in that cave. In that cave, God made a leader. God took a man that had totally hit bottom by acting crazy and insane in goth and made him into the leader that was able to lead those men and be victorious. It took a while. It took lots of happenings. It took lots of uh, God's work in his life. But that's what the Lord does in caves. It says in verse 3, "...later David went to Mizpah in Moab," where he asked the king, please allow my father and mother to live here with you until I know what God is going to do for me. So he's thinking about his mom and dad. He's thinking about them. They don't need to be in that cave. They're up in years. He didn't want his mom and dad being hurt. He doesn't know exactly what all is going to happen. So he finds a place for his family. Now, it's interesting about this verse 3. It says, Can my parents live with you until I know what God is going to do with me? That's a real difference in David, isn't it? Before he, he took matters into his own hands, before he had all the plans... Remember the plans that he makes with Jonathan with shooting the arrows and and finding out whether or not he's in good standing with Saul or not. Remember the the scheme they put together to tell Saul that David has gone to Bethlehem for the big celebration. And, And they've got this elaborate scheme working so that they can discover exactly where Saul's at. So he had been scheming, he had been planning, He had been taking matters into his own hands. He found that that really didn't work and that that he couldn't manipulate this thing. He couldn't create a world where he was going to be safe. And so now he runs and he's broken and acts like a, a madman, but in the cave, and you read that in Psalm 142, in the cave, faith is rekindled, and you see him saying... You know, I'm not really sure what God is going to do with me. So until we know, will you take care of my mom and dad? Faith is being rekindled. We find ourselves in the cave when we, we've been trying to do it ourselves. When we've been facing problems ourselves. The truth is, if we face our troubles with our own strength, we run out of energy pretty quick. Life can be really difficult. Life can be hard. Life can be harsh. And if we are trying to operate with our own power, we run out of gas. We make poor choices like David has been making. We run like David has been running. We find ourselves broken. And being broken And in a cave is a place of fresh starts. And David is getting a fresh start. Now, we don't know how long it took David in that cave, but there's one thing I know it took long enough. It took long enough. The truth is, for some of us, we'll be in that cave a few days. For others of us, we'll be in that cave a few weeks. For others, we may be in that cave for a month, maybe a year or so. But we're going to be in that cave until enough is enough, until faith is rekindled and we begin to have that thought. Let's wait and see what the Lord is going to do with me. Then I can go back into the world. Then I can go face my enemies. Then I can go face my challenges. For us, we say, then I can go face my Saul's, my problem. Now, it says in verse 4, So David's parents stayed in Moab with a king during the entire time. David was living in his stronghold. Now look at verse 5. One day, the prophet Gad. Remember Gad? He was a prophet a couple chapters ago the prophet Gad told David, leave the stronghold and return to the land of Judah. When it was the right time, one day, when David was more on his feet, when David was more in line with what God wants, living by faith, closer to being obedient again, closer to being in the right mindset to follow God. One day, when it was the right time, when David was ready, the prophet Gad told David, leave the stronghold and return to the land of Judah. Now, guess who's in the land of Judah? Saul. So what the prophet says is, David, it's time. you got to go face your enemy. Faith has been rekindled. You're stronger now, David. You have repented, David. You have understood your, your, your mistakes. You now have acknowledged the wrong turns that you have made. You're right where you need to be. Now get up, leave the cave, and go back to Judah. Face the problem. God's always going to do that with us. If you find yourself hiding from the problem, hiding from the conflict, hiding from the struggle, God is going to come and He is going to build faith in you again. He is going to get you strong again. He is going to get you obedient again. He is going to work in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit. And He is going to get you where you need to be. And He is going to give you the assignment to go right back where the problem occurred. The thing that got you in this position in the first place. We've always got to go back to the scene of the rebellion. The scene of the crime. It's very interesting that long time ago, I knew that I would have to pastor in San Angelo for a good while. I just bleed in my heart to face all the stuff that I did when I was a kid. I was going to have to go there and spend enough time there living for the Lord so that everyone would know that my character, my will, my heart had changed and as I look back now it's very clear that all that the Lord put me through and carried me through got me to where I needed to be for the next step and the next step and the next step some of those times was like being in a cave I had to learn to believe again I had to learn to trust again faith was rekindled I had to demonstrate that I was living for the Lord for a long time. Faithful, dependable, before I was then able to return and face uh, poor testimony, disobedient to the Lord. and, and, And I had to return to the place of the crime. Return to the place of the failure. Return to the place Of where I got off track for his glory, for his purpose. Don't fight the Lord when he sends you to a cave. Learn what you need to learn, come to terms with what you need to come to terms with. Let his spirit rebuild you. There's caves in our future. And now it says in the last part of verse 5, so David went to the forest of Hereth. We don't know where Hereth is. We know it's a forest and we know it's in Judah. Isn't that interesting that David goes from a cave to a forest, not ready for the palace yet, a cave to the forest. Can you imagine that? The future king went from a cave to the forest. Now let's look at the lessons of the forest. Verse 6. The news of his arrival in Judah soon reached Saul. At the time, the king was sitting beneath the tamarisk tree on the hill of Gibeah holding his spear. The man is always holding his spear. He just cracks me up with his spear. And he's surrounded by his officers. He's in all his glory. This is his heyday. He's got his spear, he's got his officers, he's holding court, he's in charge. And he says to them in verse 7, Listen here, you men of Benjamin. Saul shouted to his officers when he heard the news, Has the son of Jesse, which is David, promised every one of you fields and vineyards? Rhetorical question. Has he promised to make you all generals and captains in his army? Is that why you have conspired against me? Saul's paranoia once again. For not one of you told me when my own son made a solemn pact with the son of Jesse. You're not even sorry for me. Think of it. My own son encouraging him to kill me as he is trying to do this very day. Paranoia. He's uh, he's out of his mind. He... Can you imagine the ranks? Can you imagine his officers? How long are we going to have to put up with all this craziness? David's lost. I mean, Saul has lost it. He's out of his mind. But he's still in charge. Verse 9. Then Doeg the Edomite, who was standing there with Saul's men, spoke up. You remember Doeg the Edomite? He was in chapter 21. He was in Nob when David showed up to talk with the priest Amalek. He was there. He saw David. And here he is. Then Doeg the Edomite, who was standing there with Saul's men, spoke up. When I was at Nob, he said, I saw the son of Jesse talking to the priest Amalek, son of Abtub. Amalek consulted the Lord for him. Then he gave him food, which he did, and the sword of Goliath the Philistine. King Saul immediately sent for Amalek and all his family who served a priest at Nob. When they arrived, Saul shouted at him, Listen to me, you son of Atab. What is it, my king? Amalek asked. Why have you and the sons of Jesse conspired against me? He didn't ask what was going on. He doesn't question the situation. He, he doesn't give Amal- Amalek the, the, he doesn't give him any, uh, uh, you know, character here. He just automatically believes he's wrong. Why did you give him food and a sword? Why have you consulted God for him? Why have you encouraged him to kill me as he is trying to do this very day? Listen to Amalek's response. But sir, is anyone among you, among all your servants as faithful as David? Your son-in-law, why is he the captain of your bodyguard and a highly honored member of your household? This was certainly not the first time I have consulted God for him. May the king not accuse me and my family in this matter. For I knew nothing at all of any plot against you. He's just being the priest. He's just doing priestly things. David came for some answers. David came for some help. David came for some relief. That's what priests do. He's just doing his job. He sees David as loyal to Saul. He, he, I mean, David didn't give Saul away. He lied about his situation. But he said, I'm on an important matter of the king. Amalek is innocent. All the priests are innocent. In verse 16, Saul says, You will surely die, Amalek, along with your entire Family, the king shouted. And he ordered his bodyguards, kill these priests of the Lord, for they are allies and conspirators with David. They knew he was running away from me, but they didn't tell me, but Saul's men refused to kill the Lord's priests. But Saul's men refused to kill the Lord's priests. They disobeyed orders. So they're reading into this, aren't they? They know that this is not right. And they're willing to face the anger of Saul. But this Doeg fella. Then the king said to Doeg, you do it. So Doeg the Edomite turned on them and killed them that day. Eighty-five priests in all still wearing their priestly garments. Then he went to Nob the town of the priests, and killed the priests' families, men and women, children and babies, and all the cattle, donkeys, sheep, and goats. That's mind-blowing. Wow. Sin has consequences, doesn't it? imagine It's amazing to consider what people are willing to do to other people when they're, when they're narcissists, when they're paranoid, when they have absolute power. We have a world where men and women who have absolute power are not trustworthy. It's not good for anybody to have absolute power when there's no checks and balances. And Saul doesn't have any. But, you know, that's what the people wanted. They wanted a king so they'd be like other people. Look in verse 20. Only Abiathar, one of the sons of Amalek, escaped and fled to David. When he told David that Saul had killed the priest of the Lord, David exclaimed, I knew it. When I saw Doeg the Edomite there that day, I knew he was sure to tell Saul, now I have caused the death of all your father's family. Stay here with me and don't be afraid. I will protect you with my own life, for the same person wants to kill us both. Some lessons from the forest. Number one, no one gets away with sin. Boy, David is learning this. There are consequences for our sin, no one gets away with sin. Numbers 32.23 says, But if you fail to keep your word, then you will have sinned against the Lord, and you may be sure that your sin will find you out. David recognizes this. David understands this. We see in the Psalms 32, 34, time and time again, we see David living out what it means to have sinned and have your sin always before you. Galatians 6, 7 says, Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. We can be sure that our sin will find us out. So that's one of the lessons that David learns. No one will get by with sin. There is a day of reckoning. But something else we see here in the story. We see a great change in David. David. A wise man is able to confess their sin and repent and take responsibility for it. That's what we see here with David. Been a long time since we saw David in this mindset with with this condition of his heart. He says, I knew it, he says in verse 22. I knew it. When When I saw Doeg the Edomite in Nob, I knew he was sure to tell Saul. Now, he says, now let me tell you, I have caused the death of all your father's family. I'm the cause of that. It was my sin that caused this. David repents. David takes responsibility for his sin. He's getting back in the game. Now, there's one clear difference between David and Saul. As we go through and look at their study, there are times that we say, all right, Saul is this way, but David, he's not much different. There are times that David loses it. There's times that David commits sin. There's times David makes mistakes. There's no question about that. But there's one clear difference between David and Saul. Saul always blames other people. It is never Saul's fault. Saul is always looking for someone else to blame for what's taking place, but not David. But not David. David accepts his wrong, and he repents. Saul was not a repenter. Saul never owned up to his sin. David did. And the reason why David is known as a man after God's own heart is because David was a good repenter. And when he acknowledges his sin, he repents. Now, there's another point in this story that's very important. We have a forerunner of what Jesus did for us in this story. There's lots of these kind of stories in the Old Testament that... That build the possibility, build the idea, build the story for when Jesus would come to the world and he would pay the price of man's sin. The priest did nothing wrong. But the innocent paid the price of the guilty. David is the guilty. You would think that it would be David that would have to pay the price of his own sin. But God is using this story and others just like it to build in man the ability to receive this idea the innocent pay the price of the guilty. Priests did nothing wrong. Yet they paid the price. They lost their lives. Their families lost their lives. The innocent dies for the guilty. That's what Jesus did for us. That's the good news. 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but we have but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death. He was raised to life in the Spirit. So the gospel is seen here. The gospel picture, the gospel story is here. Innocent dies in place of the guilty. For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. We deserve death. We deserve punishment. But God so loved the world that He gave us His Son. And when Jesus came in the world, He paid the price once and for all. The innocent gave His life for the guilty. Good news. Good news for us. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but He died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but He was raised to life in the Spirit. Father, I pray that You will just help us to know where we are in relation to this story. Perhaps some of us are in a cave. Perhaps some of us have just left the cave. Perhaps some of us, Lord, are in the forest. Perhaps, Lord, we are, we've had our faith rekindled and we're on the road to, to, to being engaging with the problem, the conflict, the enemy. We pray, Lord, for your guidance. We just pray, Lord, that you'll strengthen us. Help us, Lord, if we need to have our faith rekindled, that you'll give us that cave experience. And help us, Lord, to learn the lessons we need to learn So, Lord, that we can be faithful. Lord, we're so thankful, Lord, in the bizarreness of this story for giving us another taste of the wonderful thing you've done for us. Lord, we are guilty of our sin. And you have given us Jesus. We are so grateful that the innocent died for the guilty. Help us to see the victory in your gospel story. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, come forward.